Hello, and welcome to the Plant a Trillion Tree podcast. I'm Eva Monheim. And I'm Hal Rosner. We're both certified arborists, credentialed by the International Society of Arboriculture. The purpose of our podcast is to encourage tree planting and proper tree care for our urban forest, which includes neighborhoods, parks, and other open space. We'll also cover the importance of the already existing tree cover and the benefits. So welcome, everybody. Thanks for joining us. This podcast is being recorded on January 28th, 2022. Erica Smith-Fishman has spent her career connecting people with plants. As the Community Forestry Manager at Philadelphia Parks and Recreation, she is the project lead for the Philly Tree Plan. Erica also supervises the amazing Tree Philly team who provide Philadelphia residents with the resources they need to plant and care for trees in their own backyard. She is an ISA certified arborist and the recipient of the Arbor Day Foundation's 2018 Trailblazer Award. Erica received a Bachelor of Science in Biology from Haverford College and a Master's of Science in Environmental Horticulture from the University of California, Davis. Welcome to the Plant a Trillion Trees podcast, Erica. We're delighted you could be with us today. Thank you for having me. We are so thrilled and we know the importance of your position and your job in the city of Philadelphia because you are working on the Philly tree plan. And this is the first of its kind for Philadelphia. Is that correct? Yep. It is the first comprehensive strategic plan for Philadelphia's trees. Can you give us a little bit of background of how it kind of came to be? So I work for Parks and Recreation. I'm the community forestry manager and We really started getting into community forestry when we started the Tree Philly program, our yard tree giveaway program in 2011. And that was met with such enthusiasm and it really helped us get into the neighborhoods and talking with groups who are doing community forestry at the neighborhood level and kind of added to the work that Parks and Rec already does with its um, street tree planting, which we've been doing since 1913. The city of Philadelphia has been planting street trees since 1913. And we also have our in-house crews of arborists who work on park trees. So this has been something where over the years, we've been taking on more and more comprehensive resource supply to, to people, really talking to them about the many different ways that trees impact their lives, not just on public land. And so um, with the support of then Commissioner Mike DeBerdinis and then Mayor uh, Mayor Nutter, we started to really assemble the stakeholders who work in urban forestry here in the city. So in 2017, we actually hosted two tree summits where we brought together stakeholders from mostly the institutions that support urban forestry. So of course, PHS that has been doing urban forestry for decades now and working with residents on the tree tenders program, uh, the Philadelphia Orchard Project, the Nature Conservancy, the water department, uh, many different groups that support urban forestry work in the city. And we had a couple of meetings where we started really talking about what is the state of the urban forest? What does everyone do to support it? What is their role? And then how do we move ahead with deeper collaboration? What does that look like? So we have been working on this since 2017, really assembling stakeholders. And from there, it, it kind of grew and grew. It's the vision that you have to have before everything else can fall into place. Yeah, and it, it takes a lot of fundraising too, so. Yeah, I remember uh, looking at, I guess, the proceedings, or at least actually I'm remembering a lot of the photos of the summit, and I did get this sense. I mean, how could there not be just a, a lot of positivity with stakeholders that love trees and, and love their city coming together? Yeah, and so we've held 
three tree summits now. The first two we did in 2017, when we had the institutional partners really coming together. The first one was really about the state of the urban forest. Again, who does what and what their roles are. And then the second one we had in the fall was about what could it look like to do a strategic planning effort. And we actually had uh, Matt Erb from Tree Pittsburgh come and, and visit us and give a talk on their strategic plan. Pittsburgh had one of the first uh, citywide urban forest strategic plans of this kind of era where it was very steeped in community feedback and has been a model for a lot of other urban forestry plans across the country. And so we asked them to come and talk to us. So we got a sense for what could be and then had uh, a very big conversation about, you know, if we were to do a strategic plan as a city, what would we want from that process? Who should be involved? What should the process look like? Um, and once we heard from people that, yes, that's something that, that they were interested in, we started fundraising to, to do that. Now, in the third, in the third summit, what did that include? Yeah, so once we had our funding in order to do the strategic plan, we wanted to do another tree canopy assessment of the city. So we had one from 2011 that told us that we had 20% tree canopy all across the city, but it was obviously very different depending on what neighborhood you're in. And we found out a lot uh, about where the tree canopy is and where it could be, where the potential space was. And so at that time, we found out that residential land has the greatest capacity for growing tree canopy, and that's where the Tree Philly Yard Tree Giveaway Program came from. But, you know, we were coming up on 10 years since that analysis. So uh, before we launched into our strategic plan effort, we worked with the Forest Service and the University of Vermont Spatial Analysis Lab, who did the first analysis to do a second one. And that process took quite a long time because there's a huge amount of data that needs to be analyzed. Um, and they took the analysis one step further because they had the data from last time and they analyzed not only what does the tree canopy look like now, but where it has changed in 10 years. And so in 2019, when we had the results of that analysis and we had a lot of the funding in place, we held our third tree summit. And this one, we doubled the size of it to include as many community leaders as we could, many tree tenders leaders, many tree Philly partners, uh, many park friends group uh, folks who are interested in this stuff. We brought together to really release that tree canopy assessment and show people what it said. And then to talk about a strategic plan effort, we showed the stakeholders what we thought a strategic plan could look like, what the draft kind of scope of work could look like. And then we heard from them, you know, are we on target with this? Do we need to add anything, subtract anything? And so from that, we went into launching our um, search for a consultant in early 2020, which is great timing, <laughs> as you might imagine. Yes. <laughs> that was a great time. Oh, yeah. Our RFP, uh, we put out a request for proposal, which is an RFP for consultants who, who would want to take on this planning process. And we were encouraging people who would compile a diverse team because the scope of work was quite diverse. It included um, management work. We wanted operations recommendations, education recommendations, policy recommendations, a very robust community outreach program. And that's too much for one group to do. So the proposals were due uh, March 26th. It was really impressive what came from that. Actually, we had six incredible proposals from teams that ranged from three, three groups, you know, that were applying as one to um, ultimately the group that we chose had one prime consultant and seven subs for all of the diverse scope of work that we, that we wanted from it. Yeah, so. I think I'm right, Erica, that it's not, uh, available online at this point, but the community input portion of it is right. You can go to the website and see how, uh, you know, we don't, we can use their name as hinge collective. Mm -hmm. And I guess it's up on their website. So you can see the process, which to me started to make perfect sense in terms of the initiatives to reach out to neighborhoods and, and find out what people thought, what, what our citizenry thinks about trees and parks and, and the urban forest at large.
Yeah, so we've had an amazing time working with Hinge Collective as the prime consultant, and then again, seven sub-consultants that they have, uh, they have managed on their side of the, the process. And I, I did also wanna mention that the funding for the plan ultimately came from a number of amazing sources. So William Penn Foundation came through with the original um, beginning of the funds. We had the um, State Department of Conservation and Natural Resources give us some funding. The Knight Foundation also came through. We've had a lot of support from TD Bank. And so TD Bank provided some funding. And finally, Fairmount Park Conservancy was a key player in that as well. We were really excited to work with Hinge because like how, like you're saying, one of the most important parts of this process for us was community engagement and wanting to make sure that the community engagement plan was a big part of what they were going to spend their time and resources on. And ultimately it was, you know, almost half of the budget was spent on that. And Hinge had an amazing proposal for how to reach people on so many different levels. So the plan itself is not complete yet and hasn't been released, but you can see on the website the process we went through for community engagement, a lot of the background materials we've been talking about now, like the tree canopy assessment, um, the maps of, of the tree canopy assessment data can be found there. And then a summary of what the recommendations will be the general categories of them and how they respond to what we heard from the community. Was there anything that, you, that was surprising from the community that, you know, kind of bowled you over when you had this report completed or almost completed? Well, one of the main takeaways that we have learned through this entire process is there is kind of a narrative sometimes in urban forestry that some people love trees and some people hate trees, right? And, and even if you look at our outreach materials, we did yard signs and door hangers and, so, and things that say like, love, love trees or hate trees. Take our survey. Either way, we want to hear from you, right? And it's not the truth, right? People, people value trees. They understand the value of trees. It's just that there are some people who can afford to have trees in their life and can afford to deal with some of the repercussions of having a living thing that's quite large and somewhat unpredictable at times on their property or around their property. And some people who either can't afford it or are too scared, right? And, and don't feel like they can access resources or support to do it and have a tree that might impact them in ways that they couldn't recover from. At least that's the perspective, right? I think us in the urban forestry world, arboriculture world, we know that there are some misconceptions about um, trees, but a lot of people's opinion is based in their real lived experience. And by saying like, oh, some people just hate trees, that's really condescending. You know, it's a condescending way of, of talking to people about it and, and thinking about it. It's really, you have to get at the core of like, why do they have those opinions? Why do they not want trees? And so, you know, a lot of what we heard from people are those reasons why. Of course, a lot of us have heard them before, you know, the uh, breaking of the sidewalk, the potential of impacting pipes. Um, and we do have some support services that can help people with those, but we need to do a better job of getting the word out to people. We need to be really present in the communities to be talking to them. And we need to do trust building. We need to maintain what we have. Um, and in some neighborhoods, we need to maintain what we have before they will accept new trees. And so, you know, some of these things are things that people like us who have been in this field for a long time, we, we knew, but to have it confirmed by 7,000 people who took our survey and all of the different ways that we did outreach, we heard a lot of the same things over and over again. And now we have this, this body of data to back up what we kind of have heard throughout our careers. Well, I think that that's one thing that statistics, gathering statistics like that, that give you a, an overview, actually help you to direct the plan and where you're going to start putting trees and how you may be able to gather resources for those who may not have the money to take care of their trees. And this is something that I know even in the community that we used to work in, people would say, I don't have the money to have a tree in front of my house. And we'd say, okay, 
well, then maybe your neighbor will. And the neighbor would say, yeah, we'll put it like so that it's between both houses. So they come up with a compromise. I think that's half the problem, solving the yeah, first of all, Philly is a tough town for tree establishment in terms of old infrastructure and those blasted three foot by four foot pits, you know, cutting up sidewalk. And then, yes, there's a sewer vent pipe and oops, he just hit it. I think it's cracked. The boots on the ground story I think about with embarrassment was my first job out of college was with Philadelphia Green. They're no longer around. We were doing tree planting. It was a small block right off of Allegheny Street. I'm the college kid. Yes, let's plant, uh, you know, nine trees. Oh, these are great. They're from Princeton Nurseries. They're the perfect street tree. Oh, by the way, what kind of tree? Bradford pear. So uh, a decade <laughs> later, I ran into the block captain. We were actually going to the same martial arts studio. And he remembered me. And the trees were an absolute disaster. Gigantic, splitting, heaving sidewalk. <laughs> yes, plant trees. You know, I, all, all this to say is we can never stop learning these uh, little mm -hmm. lessons. Uh, obviously, I'll never, you know, do that again. Right. And, you know, the, the field also grows and learns and best practices change, right? You know, Zelkovas were planted to replace elms, and now Zelkovas are just a disaster for the sidewalks. It, you know, there are things we are learning, and it is hard with trust building when when there are things that like you just don't know until you start planting them. You don't know how they're going to respond to this environment because it's not natural. <laughs> I knew this was going to happen. We just did a podcast with Municipal Forester in Park Ridge, Illinois, and uh, you know. I'm from the Midwest. I'm well aware of what they call parkways out there. And we talked about it yesterday when we interviewed uh, Joe Hansen. And it just, everything is the opposite out there in terms of 12 feet wide, rich, dark, loamy soil, very easy establishment. But one thing I, I think even I've, Eva talks about it all the time is this concept of tiny forests. And, and maybe we start to concede that some of these narrow north, south, blocks that were never intended to have trees, maybe we revisit, and I think it does get done, of, well, is there a vacant lot in the neighborhood that could be forested in? And, you know, become a meeting place, create some shade, create some beauty, a, a place for, you know, quietude and, and things like that. Yeah, vacant lots, um, as you know, are so complicated in Philly, too. Yeah. So complicated. And we're we're really lucky though that the urban ag plan that Parks and Rec is also spearheading. There's a strategic plan for urban agriculture in the city. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, they have been really taking on the topic of vacant land. And if you haven't heard of it, you should check into the work that the urban ag and community gardening community is doing with some of the council people to advocate for um, some of the lots that are held by U.S. Bank. There's like a, a number of liens that are on a huge number of parcels in the city. And there's a lot of advocacy to um, get those brought over into city property. And I'm not explaining it quite well, but go check out the urban ag plan and check out what the um, work is that they've been doing with vacant land with some of the council people. Okay, that sounds good. Eventually, somehow, these vacant plots are going to wind up with some tiny forests on them. And there'll be a perpetual forest because if the land is purchased by the city, it's a little park within a community. And I think that that would be ideal if you can't put trees on a street where you have so much infrastructure that's old and hasn't been replaced. It doesn't make any sense to put new trees in when you're going to be ripping up the roadway and putting in new gas lines or new electric, whatever it is. So I think that that's also an important part of your tree plan, because if you have the tree plan, other entities like the water department, like PICO, like Philadelphia, the, ga the gas works, that, that whole, or those organizations can actually look at your plan and say, you know what, today's 10 blocks for new gas lines or new uh, water lines. That would make perfect sense and not have to redo and create a problem that is going to undo what you're doing. 
Yeah, and you bring up a really good point because collaboration and coordination among city departments and utilities is something that we have spent a lot of time talking about and thinking about. And there is a need for a single point of contact in the city for trees because the parks department really has jurisdiction over parks and streets but zoning code is about all of the trees in the city. You know, there's no there's no one tree person who is uh, the contact for development and developers and, you know, the neighborhood groups that are involved in that. So we have been thinking a lot about what it looks like to have a single point of contact who is dealing with all trees in the city, especially as it pertains to policy, coordination and collaboration with other groups. Would that include uh, preservation then and protections? Right. Yeah, we've been we've been looking at what other cities are doing with tree protection and preservation, and we have uh, a lot of ideas for what that could look like with some zoning change and policy change too. Gotcha. Having a person like you in the position that you're in, um, you have a a, a great skill set to work with people. I know that because you're on the committee that I'm what the Penn Tree Committee that we're on, and. One of the things that I think is so important about trees, because they're community-based, trees are community-based, we actually have to have, you know, someone there that is going to have the voice for not only the community of people, but the community of trees. And whether it's you or whether it's someone else, but we need someone who has the characteristics that could do both and pull things and galvanize things together so that they function seamlessly as possible, so that things can get done quicker. Well, thank you for that. That's very nice of you <laughs> to say. Like with everything else, you need to have protections at the highest level and you need to have presence at the at the lowest level, at the most granular in the neighborhoods. So, you know, the plan is trying to tackle both of those scales, you know, the idea of coordination at the city level, there need there does need to be that one person who, you know, is to kind of use an overused analogy, like the Lorax for the trees at the city level. Um, and that person does need to be politically savvy and be good with people because, you know, if you get someone in there who's a blunt instrument, they're going to make enemies and, and it's not going to be successful. And so we're thinking really hard about what that looks like how to get that Lorax up there in, in the city to be able to speak and advocate for the trees and, and who they need to be allied with, you know, which other departments do they need to be connected with. To the other end of the scale, you need to have more community organizers. You need to have more people in the community who are able to speak about all the many ways people can get involved. So PHS Tree Tenders has been doing work for, you know, three decades now, more. And Tree Philly now has been doing our yard tree giveaways for a decade. And we need to be out there in collaboration with one another, talking about the many different ways there are to get trees and the, the many different options there are. Because, you know, you, as you're saying, street trees might not be the best option. In some neighborhoods, yard trees clearly aren't the best option. And if you're out there with a round peg and it's all people who want who have square holes to fill you know you you have to kind of have your suite of tools that you're communicating about so we're also thinking very hard about what that looks like how to get resources to the communities that need them the most in the ways that support them the best and using data that we have to see what that might be where the best potential for trees is in a community but making sure that we are talking to the community before we do anything. Because if they are not interested in yard trees, then it doesn't matter if that's the greatest place for trees. You have to figure out what the in is in that community. Maybe it's a memorial tree program. Maybe it's, you know, a park tree planting. But there has to be a meeting of the potential for trees and the space for trees with the actual willingness to plant them which reminds me very much of uh, PHS when they have a, a community garden. You don't put a community garden in, plop one down, and not have anybody interested in the community <laughs> uh, for the community gardening, which happens sometimes. It happens. One person wants it, but nobody else in the neighborhood wants it. So you have to have a buy-in. And that buy-in is crucial for the survivability of those trees. And also, the I want to say the good community aspect of it, because you can have people butting heads with one another because, you know, the disagreements over 
what they want and what they don't want. And I think that that's where a good communicator comes in, a person who has the understanding of community again and trees. Yeah, and you also need to start making the people who are working to plant trees look more like the people they are trying to serve. Mm-hmm. And that's a really big challenge in environmental fields in general, right? So it's another thing that we're thinking about a lot, trying to lift up leaders, prioritize contracts to, to minority-owned businesses. How do, What does that look like in terms of workforce, in terms of hiring practices, um, and, and, a lot, and, and that kind of thing? That makes a lot of sense. So when do we see this full-blown document? <laughs> it will be this spring. You, you know that things always change. We want to make sure that we are translating it um, into a number of languages. And there are always unpredictable things when it comes to just getting it over the finish line and getting all of the feedback back from the people that you need to hear from. So it will be this spring. My internal date is no later than Arbor Day. <laughs> but um, yeah, at some point in the next few months. And what languages are you going to be translating it into, if you don't mind me asking? When we put our survey out, we translated it into eight different languages. I don't want to misremember them. So if you don't mind, I'm actually going to check my list. That's okay. That's okay. We translated it into eight different languages. And then we, we actually received responses in all of those languages, which was so exciting to us. That is Um, Yeah, and it made us uh, regret not translating it into more languages. But we also knew that, you you know, it is quite expensive to translate Spanish, French, Mandarin. And we did have, we had a large number of people submit the survey in Mandarin. Wow. We did uh, Khmer, Vietnamese, um, I think Polish. And that gets us close to eight. So I can't remember. And of course, English is one of the eight. Right. Um, but, right. right. Uh, yeah, that's around the, the list of what we did. That's very commendable. And to get those languages, did you look at the census? Is that what you were looking at? Or were you looking at numbers and neighborhoods? So we actually did a combination of looking at what languages the city typically um, translates their materials into because they they have that information of of what the top languages are. And then making sure that the areas we were prioritizing were represented on on that list of languages. When it comes to putting out a survey, you know that certain people are going to fill it out because they're already like on the bus, like those people who are already in in this world are going to fill it out. But we wanted to make sure that we got it um, to as many people who would not just fill it out, who might not even encounter it and who might not think it was for them. So we did a very big push. We did 150 yard signs in parks in our priority areas. We did 3000 phone calls and we um, paid community members to make those phone calls and they would fill the survey out with people over the phone or leave a message and you know, otherwise reach people that way. We sent text messages to people in our priority areas and we um, hung door, door hangers on houses in those priority areas. Um, and we did end up getting 60% of those 7,000 responses uh, 60% of them came from area zip codes that had our middle and highest priority areas in them. So we were pretty excited about that. That is very commendable. I just want to jump back. I love the idea of ambassadors and uh, the tree advocates that might come out of specific neighborhoods. I wondered if you had ideas on how that recruitment process goes along. I mean, obviously, you're making a lot of contacts just by the nature of your job, but it it seems like there's a lot of opportunity to get a lot of, you know, we're talking about buy-in and, and neighborhood support. Any, any strategies that you like to utilize along those fronts? Yeah, I mean, as part of our community engagement, we tried to use as many of the best practices as, as you would in any community organizing effort. And so the first thing that we did is we actually put together a steering committee 
of about 30 members of groups from all over the city who represented different aspects of the urban forest. So tree tenders leaders, park friends group leaders, civic association and CDC leaders who were involved in tree efforts. And that became our community voices steering committee. So those were people who themselves represented an entire community, or at least that was the intention, right? They represented a group and could speak for that group. And they advised the community engagement effort the entire way. So when it came to deciding what those priority areas were that were in most in need of um, increased investment for tree planting and care, they helped advise us on what variables we should use in that prioritization. We ended up prioritizing high heat areas, low tree canopy, of course, areas that were impacted by poor air quality, areas that were impacted by different public health concerns like asthma, cancer rates, and mental health concerns, and areas that had low income. And so when we did our prioritization, we knew that these areas that were you know, highlighted in red on the map were the ones that were the most vulnerable. And so that's where we tried to make sure that those areas were represented in our survey. We targeted all of our outreach for hearing people on the ground to those neighborhoods because we felt very confident that people in other neighborhoods would come to us and would fill out the survey and would be represented already. Some of the tools that we use to do that are the tools that you would use to gather community support for anything, right? So by having our Community Voices Steering Committee, we could then find out which of them had contacts in those priority areas. And we developed a, and this was um, a part of Hinge Collective's proposal from the beginning, and one of the many reasons we, we were really excited about it. They developed a six week program that was a paid program where we called it a neighborhood ambassador program. So we found people in those priority neighborhoods and they participated in a six week program where they learned about urban forestry, but most importantly, they were a conduit to the plan from their neighborhoods. So there were 22 people who we paid for six weeks to do interviews with their friends, their peers, their community to document how they interacted with trees in the city and otherwise gather information about trees from people who could speak to them as peers in ways that they would never speak to, you know, someone who is coming in from an institution or organization. We got 62 interviews that we transcribed and included in all of the raw data that informed the plan. And those folks were often identified in that in kind of like the snowball method where you have a community leader who then suggests other community leaders. And we really wanted people for the neighborhood ambassador program who were not already in a position of leadership. You know, people who were interested in getting more involved, but weren't currently doing that. We are still in touch with a lot of those ambassadors. We met so many wonderful people that way. And though the intention was not to kind of recruit them into our, our world, the effect often is that, right? Because once you learn more and more about something, you can't stop seeing it around you. Sure. And so, so that's one of the ways that we gathered information, but also by mistake grew our constituency of people who are really interested in this work. So a side effect of this whole thing is raising the educational component of the importance of trees to communities. And as a side effect, people may look more for information about trees, what kind of trees they might want, or who actually wants that tree, who actually wants it in front of their home. Uh, so by the time this whole plan gets completed, there'll be a whole nother tier of information that you don't even know is being done. I mean, that, yeah, that is definitely, I think that's the the goal for most organizing, right? Is to to like educate people so that they can go out and talk about it with other people and bring them into the, into the world. It is always a, a kind of side effect of any effort. The more you talk about something in public, the more people see it, the more relevant it is to their life. But we were really intentional about our community outreach being 
a listening exercise and not a educational exercise because we really, we really want to hear what people had to say to us. And we didn't want them to kind of shut off if they thought that we were coming to like convince them of something. Tell us your opinions about these things and, you know, better for better or for worse, we want to know about it. Fundraising. I have to confess, I didn't even think, I, I knew you had uh, TD Bank engaged and supporting, you know, ash injections and I guess other things as well. Forecast for us, if you can, how the, what the fundraising picture looks like for Tree Philly, Philly Parks and Rec, urban forestry at large. And is there mm. one person that is handling all that? Uh, definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's very, very complicated, right? Because you've got many different organizations who all have a different role to play. Sometimes those roles are redundant. I don't see that as a bad thing always, but they all have their own perspective, right? So the city has its own priorities. Um, nonprofit groups have their own priorities. Sometimes like the Fairmount Park Conservancy, they are very park focused. Sometimes like the Horticultural Society, they have, you know, a play in many different aspects of the landscape. And so I think we have, we have had a fundraising committee the entire time where we are trying to figure out what that looks like and who is applying for which parts of the implementation of this. Of course, there's a role that the city budget has to play in this. There is a role of state grants and state funding that we would like to see come towards this. There's going to be a very big role that foundations could play in some of the, the bigger ideas that we have. And of course, there's also the infrastructure money. Trees are infrastructure. And so there are so many different levels one of the things that we want to make sure we are prioritizing in all of this is getting funds to people in neighborhoods to do work in their own neighborhoods. There's a, a wonderful community of volunteers that, again, have been working for decades and before PHS tree tenders yeah. existed, right? Like way before that. And so there is a role for volunteers and then there is a need for jobs and tree care is a, a great way of getting people into green jobs. And so there are a lot of conversations that are happening about what part of the implementation each group will have a role in and what the strengths of each group are. So I am excited to, to keep figuring out what that, <laughs> what that looks like. You know that there are people who are passionate about their neighborhoods. And I'm wondering if there couldn't be some kind of neighborhood endowment earmarked with a person's name on it that you know somebody wants to give to that would be strictly for trees that could be strictly for education or strictly for plant the planting of trees or whatever it is because there's a lot of money out there that you know people don't know who or what to give to somebody's family when somebody dies mm -hmm. they want to do a memorial and I think of that, and that would be an ideal way, because you know, you know, there's credit cards where you can actually give, and I think it's TD Bank that has you give a tree every time you make a purchase, right? Um, where are those trees going? Where, <laughs> where are they linked to? Who are they linked to? Right. Um, so it could be something like that. And I was glad to hear you say the infrastructure bill, because I, I hope people realize that the infrastructure bill if a big one goes through, that you would actually get people to realize how important those bills are for local need mm -hmm. and not just not seen anywhere. <laughs> Money, where's it going? Nobody knows. But it would actually be seen in a tree. It's, mm -hmm. it's actually tied to that green infrastructure. I feel the the report is, you can't even put a value on it because it's that important. And I wonder, as a person in your position, what do you see coming from this down the line even further than planting of trees? What do you see coming from it? Coming from the plan or from the, the plan? What are some of the, the side things that you, you know, may not think about right away, but mm -hmm. would come from a plan like this? Well, to me, 
you know, tree planting is obviously extremely important, especially since we're losing 6% or we have lost 6% of our tree canopy in the last decade. Um, so tree planting is extremely important. But one of the main takeaways from that tree canopy assessment was that the biggest source of new canopy is from the existing trees growing bigger. So proper care of our existing tree canopy really can't be downplayed. It can't be underestimated. And so one of the things I'm hoping comes from this, and, and I will be working very hard at on my end, is trying to get our care of our public trees into a proactive maintenance schedule so that we can be tackling the care of the trees, not only to make sure that they're still around in a few years, but also to show that trust building and, and do that trust building maintenance that's so important. So yeah, we, we have a lot of focus in the plan on protection and preservation. And we have over 5,000 acres of natural areas in our city as well. And we have a very small team of dedicated people who, who take care of them. And a lot of people think that, you know, green means good. It, it's green, it's great, it's doing fine. But, you know, if you look at some of our natural areas, they're overrun with vines. That's yeah. not good. <laughs> There's no understory. That's not good. Um, and so we have a really important resource in these over 5,000 acres that we need to protect. We need to restore and protect. And that is almost more important in many ways than some of the other trees in the city because that is already doing so much for our air quality. If it went away, planting a million street trees is not going to get us back to what that resource was giving us. So the importance of our natural areas and the importance of maintaining our public trees, I think is a really big piece of this for me, other than of course, growing the tree canopy in other ways. They're great takeaways that you're talking about, the things that maybe the regular public don't even think about. They assume that that lot with all those trees and shrubs on there is going to be there forever, and it might not be mm -hmm. uh, because of attrition, because of lack of care, as yeah. you're mentioning. We are subtropical. The vines are amazing in this town. Yeah. And uh, one thing I noticed crisscrossing through the parks is... Uh, there's vast tracts of it that are underutilized that, you know, if you could just get the vines under control and 30% of the weed trees, I think they'd be more inviting to other uses. Just to switch into tree nerd talk, because that's the, a lot of fun. I want to thank Tree Philly for pawpaws that I, I got from you a couple, well, it's probably been about eight years ago, and now they've mm -hmm. produced fruit. Eva has been very helpful, along with some Twitter friends on pawpaw propagation, and I'm ready to start um, handing them out uh, to neighbors. I think oh, Tree Philly has been the sole motivator because I also see them popping up like in community gardens in, in different neighborhoods, and a lot of times, People have lost track of who planted the pawpaw, and I happen to be there when they're ripe or falling on the ground. And uh, I have to say, it's a great uh, <laughs> mid-morning snack. Yeah, pawpaws are so phenomenal and such a a, a secret, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, there are there are secret places in the park system where there are groves of them. I have so much to say about pawpaws. Um, Go for it. <laughs> so. We've been giving away pawpaws as part of the tree filly program for yeah at least eight years. It wasn't the it wasn't in the first tree palette we had, but it very quickly um, entered the tree palette, and we were giving away two of them because you need two to produce fruit. Right. So we were telling people you can plant them pretty close together because they they are commonly uh, create a colony, so they're they're happy plant being growing very close together. But we learned, and we were so excited to learn from Philadelphia Orchard Project from Phil Forsyth that you can plant them in the same hole. Oh, you can plant both pawpaws in the same planting hole. So when we're giving them away, we're we are not kind of we don't have to say like you need even more space if you want this tree it's like nope put them in the same hole they're fine and it's a really exciting thing for us too because we can give even more of them away 
there's a, a nice grove of them up by the Pennypack Environmental Center on Vary Road, if you're interested. And one of the one of the worst tragedies of, of our city is that there's a huge grove of them at Bartram's, but they're all a colony and they don't produce any fruit. Yeah, and any idea, I've seen that happen actually, Jason Lubar of the Morris Arboretum at his place, same thing, a colony of them and they're not producing. Is that, I wonder if that's all shared rootstock or something. No, it's a, it, it's a running tree. It, it runs okay. and it puts up suckers. And I, I had one in my yard and it actually did produce fruit all by itself. And mm -hmm. it was in full sun, but I think it depends on where the plant comes from. Mm -hmm. Mine produced, but I kept the suckers down. It was a mm -hmm. perfectly shaped pyramidal form tree. It's beautiful. They're beautiful. I, I would get tons of fruit off of it, but you know, the first seven years you have to wait to get the fruit. You know, a lot of people don't realize that you have to wait seven years before the fruit come on. Sometimes the, the seed that you take from that particular tree might not be as viable as from one that has been crossed. So that's the other thing when you were talking about that. Uh, and there are whole stands of this down in Maryland and in, De and in Delaware outside of Wilmington, right near the Moore's Hospital. There's a Alapocos Woods, which has thousands of, of uh, pawpaw there. Um, but it is a really important tree. It, it has a good stabilizing uh, a root system for along stream banks. Oh, yeah. There. Good point. There's also one uh, as an urban street tree in West Philly. I hope it's still there in front of the... I was going to mention. Yeah, Mariposa. Yeah. And if, you, if you've noticed across <laughs> the street, slightly east, there's an, another one. Oh. I, I have a feeling that um, most of, so I don't know if you have noticed all of the other trees on the 4900 block of Baltimore Avenue also happen to be fruit trees. Oh, okay. We do have a, a local rogue planter who I, I, I'm fairly positive all of those trees are from the tree filling giveaways. <laughs> Um, which is, you know, I would like to put an official disclaimer in the podcast that you are not supposed to plant your tree Philly yard tree in your street tree pit because they are they are not meant for that. And those street trees need to be inspected and approved by the, the Parks and Rec Arborists because it's a public safety issue if people are just planting them without permission. Right. So just, just so you know, but I also uh, very much enjoy that block of Baltimore Avenue. And I have one time walked past that pit and seen a pawpaw laying there. And I did get to eat the fruit of that pawpaw street, which is like growing in the most extreme stress. Oh, it is. Yeah. You can imagine and seems to be doing quite well. <laughs> Very cool. They are. They don't mind stress at all. The other tree that I think is really good, and if you know a source of where they're located, you don't tell anybody, yeah. is a service berry. Uh -huh. And uh, service berry, and someone on our show was telling us about that too, where he knew of a stash of them. But I, I think it's, it, you know, it's important that people have the opportunity to try all these fruits because many people have never had them before. The service berries, I was really disappointed last year. I went to my, the place that I usually go to for service berries, which recently has been Grays Ferry Crescent Park. Have you ever been there? No. No. It's a wonderful park. And they have a lot of um, easily accessible service berry trees and they all had rust, just covered. Yeah. There was almost nothing edible. We There were some mulberries we could pick. I was with my kids and I was like, oh man, we came here to pick berries. I'm not gonna, and I, and I can't get any berries? But we found some good mulberries hanging over the fence. But yeah, service berry is just an amazing, amazing fruit. There are a number of them on 48th Street, just north of Baltimore on the east side that are street trees that are prolific. Wow. And there are a couple in Clark Park, but they are a little too tall for just a regular outing right, right. to pick. Well, we have to ask you our favorite question because we're getting kind of past our time. A spirit tree or a tree that speaks to you, Erica, or a group of trees that speaks to you. This is such a hard question. And, you know, I do a lot of um, conferences and stuff, and they always want to ask you, like, what's your favorite tree? And it's such a hard question. It depends on the season, I think. I'm partial to to black gum, to Nyssa sylvatica. I think it is really beautiful. The fall color is so unique. 
the glossy leaves, the way that they turn, like one or two will turn bright, vivid red amongst a sea of green. And you're just like, what is this? Yeah. <laughs> and an amazing habitat tree as well for birds. And then, I mean, white oak, I think also just, and maybe these are boring choices, but like white oak is also just majestic. I, my kids go to a school that has a massive white oak on the corner. Um, it's not a street tree, it's in interior tree. And so it's huge and it, it's just like so beautiful. So I don't know if they are like represent my spirit so much, but they give, they bring me joy. So that's how I answered. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Well, you know, the white oak is very popular amongst our guests. It really yes, is. Okay. I mean, and the, and the black gum is a favorite of mine also. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. I Childhood. think for all the shows we've done, white oak is way up at the top in, in terms of what guests tell us is their favorite tree. So the universe is trying to tell us something. We can probably owe some of that to Doug Ptolemy because of his research on like, how many caterpillars it hosts and like how important it is to the ecosystem. Like we all know that now from his research. And so I think that that kind of colors our perception of it maybe as well. Definitely. Well, we certainly thank you for taking the time out of your schedule for this interview. And we know our listeners around the world will love listening to it because it does give a lot of information on how they can create their own plan for their city and we thank you again for being with us. Thank you for having me. This was really fun. Yeah, it was. Thanks so much, Erica. Oh, thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. The Planet Trillion Trees podcast is edited by Andromedan Recordings in Hollywood, California. Thank you.